session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Simultaneously on Instagram Live, so I won't be taking any calls today, but you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Let me get into the books of the week. The book for this week that I'll talk on uh, talk about our next Monday's show is The Deviance War by Eric Servini. The Deviance War, the Homosexual versus the United States of America. And so this gets uh, into a legal battle that I think happened in the 50s between uh, a man who was in the military and even to say this word sounds funny, but accused of being homosexual. And then what happened as far as his legal battle, I've only looked at the book as far as on the surface, so I don't know much about it other than that, but looking forward to reading it and sharing it with you uh, on next Monday's show. That's The Deviance War by Eric Servini. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, a fascinating book, really interesting, thought-provoking, and opened my eyes to a lot of things that I was not aware of. I was not aware of, I was not aware of, which is usually the most meaningful, is that we don't even know sometimes the things we don't know. And just gave me a lot of perspective on um, what's going on now, of course, with race and racism, but also the history of it as well and what's happening. And even this term, how to, an anti-racist, maybe we have not heard before, might not be familiar for me, it was in a way new. I'd seen this book uh, for the last year or so, so I'd seen that term, but wasn't so familiar with it. But the book really does a great job of outlining how we've gotten here and also giving us some thoughts and also guidance on how to go forward. But I do want to share some of um, the author's words about this, because how to be an anti-racist, it's an interesting concept because we tend to think of Either someone is racist or not racist, and people really try to make sure they come off as not racist. Most people do. But as he puts it, that's not enough, and that distinction isn't really what we should be looking for. So let me read you a little bit from uh, the book. This is from page 9. So he, uh, he says, uh, What's the problem with being not racist? It is a claim that signifies neutrality. I am not a racist, but neither am I aggressively against racism. But there's no neutrality in the racism struggle. The opposite of racist isn't not racist. It is anti-racist. What's the difference? One endorses either the idea of a racial hierarchy as a racist or racial equality as an anti-racist. One either believes problems are rooted in groups of people as a racist or locates the roots of problems in power and policies as an anti-racist. One either allows racial inequities to persevere as a racist, or confronts racial inequities as an anti-racist. There is no in-between safe space of not racist. The claim of not racist neutrality is a mask for racism. 
And so that gives you an idea of what um, he's talking about. And, and it makes sense when you think about it, that if you're seeing an injustice in the world or if an injustice exists, you can't be um, just okay with that injustice being there. You either have to be for it or against it. If you see someone drowning in, in a pool and you walk by, you can't just say, um, I don't like that that person is drowning and keep on walking. If you actually are against it, you have to do something or you can not care and, and walk by. So all of us have that choice in a way of, are we going to be okay with injustice or inequities as they exist, or will we fight against them or actively, as he says, aggressively be against racism? And then also, even this term, I am not a racist, it implies that being a racist or not racist is a label, or even anti-racist, but it's not that uh, black and white, of course, in a way pun intended because of the topic. But let me uh, read to you again from the book. It says, the good news is that racist and anti-racist are not fixed identities. We can be a racist one minute and an anti-racist the next. What we say about race, what we do about race in each moment, determines what, not who we are. And so um, it's not just that you are this one way or the other. Every moment you can look at the actions you're doing as being racist or anti-racist. And so this also takes away the argument that some people will have, well, I can't be a racist because I have a black friend or a black even husband or wife or I've done this for people uh, of color, so how can I be racist? And so even those actions might not have been racist or maybe even were anti-racist, depending on what you did and your intentions. But now we're looking at what you're doing going forward or what are you doing now? Every moment you can be racist or anti-racist. So in that way, it's a reminder that it's a continuous struggle and fight that you can't just say, I've done my part or I don't like this thing and that's it. Either you are allowing for an injustice to exist and being okay with it, inequities to exist, or you are fighting against them. There is no in-between. Um, and also he says uh, the word racist, it is not a, the worst word in the English language. It is not the equivalent of a slur. It is descriptive, and the only way to undo racism is to consistently identify it and describe it and then dismantle it. The attempt to turn this usefully turn this usefully descriptive term into an almost unusable slur is, of course, designed to do the opposite, to freeze us into inaction. So we get so focused on, you can't even call me a racist because uh, I'm not, and it's a, a slur, it's the worst thing you can call someone. And so that freezes us, that stops the action. And so if we try to get away from just labeling people as racist or not racist, and even ourselves, um, we could focus more on things like behaviors, actions, and as he brings up over and over again, policies that exist in our societies as racist or anti-racist and to support those things. And again, ourselves, we should recognize you can't think you're done being not racist or in this case being, let's say, anti-racist. You can't say I'm done because I've done this or that every moment what you're doing, or even a statement you make. You can make a joke, let's say, or you might make a comment or a social commentary that you think is okay 
or you think is even anti-racist, and then you reflect on it and you see that, you know what, maybe that was racist, that was supporting the status quo, or had some biases in it, or uh, some assumptions that actually support racism. And so we have to be able to take a hard look at ourselves when we are looking at things like racism and anti-racism. We tend to think the problem is outside, and of course a lot of work has to happen outside and much has to change. But we don't want to forget about ourselves in that equation or to think that we're done looking at who we are, what we are. Continuously, we have to be striving to be anti-racist and to be fighting injustices. We're never done or have earned some kind of credit because of things um, that we have done. It reminds me of, let's say, if you're a mother or a father. Of course, you love your child, but you can't say, I, was, I fed him and bathed him last week. I love him. How can you say, I don't love him? I fed him last week. Well, of course, that's great that you fed him last week, but if your son or daughter is hungry now or needs to be bathed now and you don't do anything about it, you can't say, I've earned credit from being um, loving towards my child. I don't have to do it anymore. So love is a verb that you continue to do. Similarly, if you're anti-racist, you are striving towards it. And I was thinking of uh, this term being woke, where you hear people say, I am woke, meaning that I'm aware of what's going on, injustices that are going on, um, even like phrases to use, not use. I'm aware of all of those things. I'm woke. And and I get it. And, and it's a, a concept that's been now around for, at least for me, I've heard for several years now. But to me, it's not this idea of being woke as in you're done. Um, it's woke, or we should strive to be continually awakening. We are always have to learn about what's going on. You might think you understand injustice, but you don't fully understand it. Or you might think you know about all the types of injustice, but are completely unaware of a way you are being racist or discriminating in some way. So we can't think we're done being woke because you understand some things. Even if you think you really understand everything now, things are constantly changing and our understandings are changing. And that was an interesting thing about this book and the way uh, that it was written. So um, Ibram X. Kendi, at the beginning, he introduces some of these concepts and terms about race and racism and anti-racism. Uh, but then you see him go through his own struggle or, uh, yeah, even, I think struggle could be a good word, in understanding himself, understanding race and racism, and also ways that he himself was racist in different ways or was not aware of how he was judging certain people or discriminating or forgetting about certain people when it comes to even the fight to overcome racial inequities and inequality. We can sometimes forget certain groups, and I'll get into that. So it was an interesting exploration to see him share his own struggle, which I think was interesting both because it made it more of a story or you followed someone's life story, which is, makes it more interesting and fascinating to see him go through that. But I also found that this was a great way to make the argument that we all have to be looking within ourselves because here he is. So if you're reading the book, you think he's the expert on this. He knows it. He's so good. Uh, you know, he doesn't make mistakes. He hasn't made mistakes. But you see him throughout the book sharing in a very vulnerable and genuine way things he has went through in realizing, you know what, I, I was forgetting about, for example, um, women as much as I was men or sexuality. I was not aware of the intersectionality, a term that I might address later on, um, where people might be a, a 
black, but also gay or transgender, and that might be a different experience than someone who is um, just a black male heterosexual. That can be a very different experience. So you see him going through that, and it's, I think, encouraging to then uh, remind us that we must do the same thing, to take a hard look in the mirror and see who you are, what are things and ways you've thought about race that you maybe didn't realize might be racist, that might be supporting the status quo uh, as it is. And so that was interesting to see him starting from back in high school where he gave a speech at a debate or uh, it was like a speech contest. And his speech was in a way anti-black as he would describe. I don't know if he used those words actually, but he was saying things in a way that could be construed to be uh, a way of saying, you know, black people need to do more and in a way blaming them for where they are at. But uh, realizing later, and even he says he kind of cringed, he says, I still have a nightmare of the memory of that speech saying uh, what he felt. And I think he also is doing a play because in his speech, he talks about the dream and Martin Luther King looking at what's happening now. I think it was around the year 2000 where he was giving that speech as a high school student. But so we see him go through this struggle of realizing he was being racist but didn't think he was. He thought he was being very woke for that time or very aware of what was going on. And he, I forgot if he won the whole contest, but he definitely went far and he also got a lot of acclaim for it, but he realized it itself was racist. So we all have to be aware of the ways that we might not recognize. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. That's why it goes back to this concept of uh, racism or if you say something that's racist, it doesn't mean you are in your core something bad. It, it just means in that moment you've done that. So whatever you've done in the past is what you've done in the past. Every moment we can strive to be racist or not racist, and it's up to us to try to make those or anti-racist, and we should make the effort to evaluate what we're doing to strive towards that. An interesting theme throughout the book as well is that to really be an anti-racist, the way I saw it, is you have to see the equality of humankind, meaning that no group is better than any other group. If, it, if When it comes to race, when it comes to color, because he talks about that, a whole chapter is on that, when it comes to sex, male, female, gender, sexuality, class, whatever it is, however you want to differentiate people into groups, no group is above or below any other group. And to be anti-racist is to have that idea and promote those ideas and then to try to promote and bring about changes and policies that bring about that uh, equity. So if there are differences in outcomes, if we see more people of color in jail, it's not because people of color are more violent or people of color are more likely to commit crimes at their core and who they are. It's related to the policies and the system that we have set up. And so to be a true anti-racist, you have to have this equality of humankind as a core value. At least that, that's to me something I took from the book was that you really have to see all people as equal, not same. So it's, uh, he mentions kind of this post-racial America that has been discussed that if once President Obama was, uh, when, once Barack Obama became president, there was no more racism in the United States. So we had a post-racial America, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but that uh, we have to be aware that it's a very real thing that happens. So it's not that we're colorblind or that we don't 
notice there can be differences, but this doesn't lead to superiority or inferiority of different groups or a hierarchy of who's better or worse, who deserves better or more, or looking at outcomes if one group is doing better than another group, that at their core they are somehow better, but rather that there are policies that are contributing to this. So again, a fascinating book, and I wanted to commit more time to the book because there's so much in it. Highly recommend it. I'm going to give you my thoughts, not really a full summary, but my thoughts on the book, some more in the next segment. But I hope you'll read the book for yourself. Uh, It's always essential, but of course right now we're even more being aware that we need to think about these things in different ways. Or I think it's good that there's some level of an awakening as I you know, use that term woke and being continuously awakened, that people are being aware that we might have not paid enough attention, or we definitely did not pay enough attention to being anti-racist, to not just accepting things as they were. And so this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, is a great way to give you some, uh, a starting point, let's say, uh, and a lot of information about what that means and what that can mean to you and what you do as a person. So let's take a commercial break. When I come back, I'll continue on the book. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm discussing the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, and I talked about it in the first book, but wanted to continue discussion because it's a very important book. Uh, I think, I hope everyone will read it. I'm glad I read it and I, I learned a lot. And also it's not just a book, you learn the information because as I was talking about in the previous segment, it reminds you and encourages you to continuously be working on yourself to, to continue to grow. And even as I said, he discusses his own journey of different aspects of things he was not as aware of. And, and you see that when he talks about himself, and there is some humility in this as he's looking back on it, but he thought in some ways at certain young ages, for example, he had it all figured out, as we all seem to do or do at different times. And so again, for me, that was nice to see because here he is as the, the expert and someone who studied this and is literally writing the book on it. And he's sharing his experience where it's not something we're done knowing or you need to try to compete with other people to show you get it um, better than other people or you are ahead of them. It's interesting, actually, even talking about hierarchies, there's a way we create hierarchies of who's more woke or more aware or anti-racist. We try to compete, you know what, I did this or I did that or I don't think this way or I've pointed out that you have said this in an insensitive way and that means you're racist and I'm not or I'm less racist than you. And so we create these competitions and almost try to create a hierarchy where, as usual, we put ourselves at the top of being anti-racist and being so good. So we need to take that away and recognize that it's not about fighting over who's the most something. Yes, we should fight against racist policies and fight against the injustice, but we can at times get sucked into this competition, which is to make ourselves feel good, which is interesting because that's in essence, related to what happens with things like racism, sexism, where it's about power, trying to make yourself more powerful, raise your status and put other people down. So even people, ironically, who are fighting for um, to end racism or think they're fighting against racism, they might promote that same type of power dynamic when they try to talk down to people who don't get it 
as well as they think they do. And I think one factor related to this is that we are all racist in the sense that we all have some racist tendencies or racist ideas or thoughts just by living in this uh, whatever country community you are in we get affected by those things so we have those within us and i think what we do is because we have them and we don't like them we do something we can call either projection or reaction formation or we look for it in other people to tear them down for having that same quality we have you maybe have heard this before that people tend to hate things in other people that they themselves have. So if you are a dishonest person or someone who can say a lot of lies, you might say, oh, I hate liars. It's the worst thing. And they might be very explicit about how much they hate liars because they themselves have a dishonest track in them and they know that and they don't like it and they don't want to face it. And so similarly, rather than facing what might be within ourselves, that it might be racist or whatever else concept we're talking about. Rather than recognizing we might hold on to some um, beliefs, some thoughts, have some ideas, biases within ourselves, we'd rather focus on the other and judge them and put them down. And so we have to take a hard look in the mirror and recognize, I see what I'm doing, but I have to look at myself. Yes, I want to be aware and promote these anti-racist concepts and ideas and fight for the policies, but I also have to look at myself and who I am. And I'm not just because I protested or I did this or I did that, no longer uh, can I be racist or can something I do be racist or a joke I share or whatever it might be. We have to continuously strive to be anti-racist. And also we have to look within ourselves. As I, as I said in the book, he says, the only way to undo racism is to consistently identify and describe it and then dismantle it. And that could be, of course, in society and the inequities and the policies that are promoting racism, but also within ourselves. You have to first identify it. You have to look within. You can't be afraid to acknowledge what is there. And so, as I mentioned, he goes through his journey and you kind of see his also educational journey as both educational as in the traditional academics, but also um, his own education about race and racism and what it means to be anti-racist. And so there was interesting chapters looking at things like sexuality. And so he, he realized he did not think so much about, for example, black homosexuals or transgender individuals. And he had a friend, I think it was in graduate school, that he then found out is homosexual. And the kind of moment of reflection and things that went through his head and how he realized he might judge that or look at that differently um, and what he had to go through. And that if we want to be anti-racist, we can't forget about people in these intersections. So um, Kimberly Crenshaw came up with this term where she coined the term intersectionality about 30 years ago, around 1990, 1991. And so what that would look like as a concept is there are some people, for example, who are black, and we think of that as one group, but you can also be a black woman. And so you have being black, which has its own um, experience, but then also being a woman, and then you're at that intersection when you're a black woman. And of course, we could look at this in more ways than one. For example, black trans woman, and that might be three things that might be there. But nonetheless, that there's these intersections. And so that's why I was very fortunate to be a part of the Pride and Black Lives Matter. They said all black lives matter 
which was to include that we're talking also about the LGBTQ community, that they don't get left behind in this Black Lives Matter movement. And so what people experienced often, for example, women who were black, is that when they were in the movement for black rights, there was a sexism there at times. And when they were in feminist circles, there was racism there. So in either space, they were not fully accepted. So this is where this term intersectionality really becomes important, is that we recognize, we tend to think of, for example, whatever group as one group. Just like if someone was fighting for Iranian rights, within Iranians, of course, there's men and women and the sexism within our culture and our country. Um, also on top of that, for example, there are different groups. Afghans might be treated than Iranians who are in Iran that might also add to it. So we see that there's these various levels and layers of ways of looking at these multiple identities that we might have. And so when we think of groups as one thing, we might rec not recognize that we're missing some people. And so even him, uh, Ibram X. Kendi, recognized that he maybe didn't see the whole picture because he was not aware of the different groups and how they might have different experiences based on who they are and that what he thought was that he was fighting for all uh, black people he might have been not thinking of everyone and so that's something we have to think about and this is why it's so challenging when we talk about being woke and being aware is that if we look throughout history very often we weren't even aware of people who were being oppressed or who didn't have equal rights or we didn't even think they could or should have equal rights. Of course, we've seen that throughout history. But for example, people who are disabled, um, some of the, I forgot the disabilities, I shouldn't even say because I don't remember the title of the act in the United States, but I was alive when that passed. I think it was 1990 or 1991. Uh, this is fairly new, just like a lot of things in civil rights and things we're still seeing are, are new and fresh, which tells us what we're dealing with and fighting is not something old or something that doesn't exist anymore. But people might not have thought about the rights of disabled. And now, thankfully, we take it for granted that places should have, let's say, a ramp or access for people who might have disabilities. Or when you're watching a lot of these press conferences for coronavirus or whatever it might be, you'll see someone, a sign language interpreter. And it's okay. It doesn't take away from our experience. But it's very important that we're now including someone and some group of people um, who might not have been able to, let's say, access that. Um, Accessible Disability Act, someone is writing that on Instagram. I'm not sure if that's what it's called, but thank you. But nonetheless, the legislations and the policies didn't pass till not that long ago. And then we realized there was groups of people we didn't recognize, we weren't recognizing. We weren't even aware of that. And even trans uh, individuals, they are not new. I know for a lot of people it's new. It's not that people who are trans are new, but that people are talking about it more. Also, we're seeing them in the media. We are fighting for their rights. We didn't, they were so afraid to come out. They still are under so much uh, even violence. They're one of the most likely groups to be experiencing violence, especially black trans women. And so we can understand they were afraid to be public, or maybe people didn't even think they deserved to be talked about and discussed and made equal. And so now we are actually recognizing that we didn't realize we were not seeing them. And so we have to, in this way, be vigilant. We can't think, you know what? I know about all the injustices. Right now in Yemen, I haven't even talked about it on my show yet, there's a horrible humanitarian crisis going on. 
uh, within our own country, whatever country you live in, there are people suffering in different ways. So when we look at this book of how to be an anti-racist and recognize it's a constant struggle, a constant um, vigilance that we must have, that if we want to fight for people who are facing injustice, we have to be vigilant of what's going on on the outside and what's also going on within ourselves as well. What types of racist or prejudiced ideas might I hold or might I promote or I might ignore or let them be okay uh, by not doing anything about them? And so that's what I really enjoyed about that theme in the book, that you're never done being anti-racist. It's something you're constantly striving for because it's the actions you do, not just someone you are. Um, And again, if you are anti-racist, but racism still exists, how can you say you're done? You have to be continually showing it. Like the example I mentioned in the previous segment, if you say you love someone, you can't say, I did these loving things last year. I don't need to do anything anymore. I've shown I love you. It's not just a noun. I'm someone who loves you. You have to show that love. It's a verb. So in that way, being anti-racist, to me, it's a verb, something you continually are striving to do. Now, um, Ibram X. Kendi, in this book, he shares, uh, in the end of the book, cancer becomes um, this kind of theme, if you want to call it that. His wife gets cancer, thankfully survives. His mom then gets cancer a year after that, thankfully survives. And then two years after that, he gets stage four colon cancer, which I think, as he said in the book, had an 88% chance of dying, of not making it. Thankfully, he has survived and is, and, and is doing well. But he um, shares how we can look at racism like a cancer, like a disease. And like that, a disease, we have to identify it. Then we have to aggressively fight it. But again, if we don't want to even acknowledge it's there, we can't start. If we want to say, oh, there isn't even a tumor to begin with, I don't have a cancer, because we want to ignore it because it's convenient, we won't make progress. The cancer doesn't become any less real and doesn't become any less harmful, actually becomes more harmful and could eventually kill us. So as a society, we have this cancer, which is racism. And um, I've mentioned before that race is a social construct, meaning we created it. But what I learned and how he made sure to put it in this book was that it's not just a uh, social construct, but it's a power construct that even this concept of racism was created to create these power differentials. People wanted to enslave certain people, so they had to say certain races were inferior. And if you look throughout the history, you will see that, that people were saying um, the people who they enslaved were beasts or animals or somehow less than human. Um, And so it made sense. They were inferior. So it made sense. Even sometimes they were happy to be slaves. That's really the lengths they would go through. And so we always see throughout history, and we also saw this in uh, Thomas Piketty's book, Capital and Ideology, that there, whenever there's injustice, as there always is, or inequalities, there's always an ideology to explain away that inequality. If people are poor, it's not because um, something unfair is happening. They're maybe lazy, or they don't work hard, or they don't know how to be wealthy. That's why they are poor. And so that way we get the peace of mind things are fair. If I'm doing well, it's because I worked hard, not because I have some kind of privilege or things are unfair. I get to feel good about uh, myself because 
I've earned whatever I am. Anyone who's not doing well, they're suffering because they somehow aren't doing something right or they're inferior or whatever it might be. We find an ideology to justify the inequality, to justify the inequity. And that's what I loved about that theme throughout the book is that we recognize all people are equal. There aren't better or worse. If some people are successful in whatever success way you want to measure it, it's because of policies and the ideas that are there, not because people are better or worse. Um, and there's no hierarchy, no superiority and inferiority. So to be an anti-racist at our core, we have to uh, have this ideology, or if you want to not call it ideology, but this belief and understanding that all human beings are equal. So that was, for me, interesting, because I say that a lot. Race is a social construct. I think it still is, but it's a racial or social construct that was created because of the power construct. We have slavery, for example. We have to explain it, so we create this thing, race, make it significant, make it the reason for why things are happening to justify what we are doing, unfortunately. And so he talks about um, racism like a cancer. And so that means we have to find it, identify it, aggressively work on it. And then also on top of that, we have to keep um, being vigilant of it. Anyone who has had to survive cancer knows that you're not just done. Now for the rest of your life, you have to be mindful of it, aware, get regular checkups, sometimes even take a medication, whatever the case might be. But you have to make sure it doesn't come back. And so racism is not going to be an easy thing to to solve or it's something that's going to be done. We have to continue working on it just like we continue to work on ourselves to be anti-racist. But that analogy was very powerful that we have to look at it as this. First of all, also cancer because it is so serious. It is actually taking lives as cancer does. People die because of the racist policies that we have. But we also have to work towards it. We all have to work towards it. And so um, I really hope you'll read this book. For me, it was a very meaningful book, one that I'll a lot of food for thought. I get to share my thoughts with you today, but I'll continue thinking about this book because it brought up so many things for me to think about, and I'm sure it will for you as well. So I hope you will read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, a really fascinating book and very grateful to have read it. Let's go into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So during the commercial break, I was um, able to interact with some of the viewers on the Instagram live and someone brought up a interesting question related to what I was talking about, because in talking about the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, I mentioned that um, we want to be aware of when we call other people out about being racist, that sometimes we... Um, are doing it because of our own racist ideas or feelings we might have. Everyone has some within us by living in this society that is racist. It affects us. And Ibram X. Kendi explains his own um, exploration in that. And actually, even I think he talks about, you know, still being, I think he says he's less racist, he's racist less often, something like that. But he doesn't say he's never going to do it again because he, has gone through these things. So we're never done uh, working on ourselves 
in that way. And I'm going to see if I can find um, that part where he talks about that. I'm not really able to, to find it. But anyway, um, he, he mentions that he he still can be racist or say things, but he thinks he says it less. He's less likely to be racist. So we're always striving towards that. But at the same time, when you're being anti-racist, we are trying to aggressively fight against racism and racist policies. And actually, that could be one thing to focus on. Rather than just thinking about racist people, look at racist policies or racist things that are said. And that can even shift the conversation. As he mentioned, when we say that we can't call each other racist, which is how a lot of people feel that it's a slur, then it kind of freezes the conversation because someone does something and then you say, hey, that wasn't okay. And they say, are you calling me a racist? And a lot of times you feel like, well, I don't want to say that, that I'm calling them racist completely as a person and labeling them. What they did was not right. And then you might freeze. So rather than focusing on calling people racist, you know, even we say, is that guy a racist or is she a racist? Or people will say this person is a racist. We can focus more on things like their actions, their behaviors as that behavior, that joke someone made. So Yes, if you're someone who holds even more strong racist beliefs, you're more likely, let's say, to make a racist joke, but probably everyone has made a joke that they didn't realize had some prejudice in it, or maybe they did realize. So it's having that awareness. So we don't want to not talk about things that are not okay. We have to. And as he says, if we really want to be an activist, you have to fight for policy change. And so even I talked about going to a protest. That's good. Um, but does that mean much if it doesn't try to lead to action or doesn't try to make something happen? Or again, I can't just pat myself on the back and say, well, I did that, I'm done, and I've proven that I'm not um, racist or I don't, you know, I support this so I don't have to do anything. I have to continuously be working on it and, and to try to bring about change. So we don't want to not be able to call each other out. I think there is um, sometimes this the focus becomes just on calling people out rather than looking at what's happening. And I think that might detract from, from what is going on and what we are doing. So if you are an anti-racist, you are looking for it around you, not just because you want to call people out to say that was bad, you're not good, you're evil, you're this, you're that, but because you want to bring about change. And so you're looking more at what's happening in the world and the people that are suffering more than you are just trying to make that person feel bad. So to me, it's always about looking at your own intention. If I'm calling someone out for, let's say, saying something racist, doing something racist, or, or whatever the case may be, I have to always ask myself, why? What am I doing here? Okay, good. I'm trying to be anti-racist because I think that's important. I'm striving to be that way. And then even the, the how of what I'm doing. Why am I doing it this way? Why am I saying this? Why am I saying that? Why am I getting so mad at them? And I think a lot of people are trying to compete, as I mentioned before, about being more um, aware. And because I'm so anti-racist, I got more mad than other people because I see it more than other people. But that's not always going to be the case. It's not a proof of how much you care that you got more angry or more harsh or more mean in, in what you said. So uh, we always want to um, strive towards doing more. And now people are asking even how do we act anti-racist? And so um, that's a great question. And in the book, of course, it addresses a lot of different things, including that. And as I was saying, a big part of that is we have to try to bring about change. We have to do something that is 
bringing about policy change. And as he said, we can think about racist people, and sometimes we think that's how it works, but there's also uh, the racist policies. There are racist politicians, or if we put it maybe a different way, politicians who create and support racist policies, and so we want to get those people out of office. But We also want to look at the racist policies that are there and how to bring about change towards them. And so um, the author, Ibram X. Kendi, has developed uh, the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center at American University. So um, he's fighting towards anti-racism by creating this uh I guess it's an organization, but at American University, for how can we fight racism? What can we do to be anti-racist? And so, as I was saying, he uses that analogy of a cancer that we have to be vigilant. But I can tell you some of the things he he talked about. So the first thing is uh, admit racial inequity is a problem of bad policy, not bad people. So as I was saying, again, it's not just focusing on racists specifically, but especially the bad policies. And again, that when people have different outcomes, if there's more crime in an area, that's more likely related or is related to the policy than what's going on. There's poverty in that area. There's more crime. The people aren't worse people. You put anyone or any group in uh, more poverty and those individuals, likely you're going to see more crime in that area. That's a very clear connection. It's not something that is... Um, unclear. It's very clear. And not only that, how we define crime is important because he talked about even in the book, white collar crime, things like fraud and different things that let's say banks might do account for billions, hundreds of billions of dollars a year, the crimes they commit. But the things we think of as crime, like theft or burglary might be a few billion dollars, pales in comparison to what's happening. But yet when we think of a high crime area, usually we're thinking of a poor area um, where certain types of crime happen. But we're not thinking of insurance fraud or embezzlement or some kind of, let's say, money laundering or whatever else, kind of white-collar type of crimes that might happen. So it shows how our mindset is set in a certain way. So as he puts it, we want to first admit, again, the first thing is we have to admit that racism is an issue. It doesn't mean we're saying you are a racist if you say that, but that racism is the issue. So he talks about uh, different things that they want to do as part of this um, the, the uh, organization, the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center, uh, and includes admitting and then also things like investigate and cover the racist policies causing racial inequity. So again, you, that understanding that if we see these differences, these disparities, inequities, it's not because the people are better and worse, it's that the policies are unfair. And, and if you look at the United States, we, we see this, that when you see the differences in wealth and poverty in the United States between white and black people, I think it was something like 10 times the wealth of the average household that's white compared to um, black households. That's telling us something. Now, you can try to justify what's going on. Some people will say, oh, okay, maybe it's that um, the white people are making better decisions and the black people are making bad decisions. That would be a racist idea to help support a racist policy or to justify it. Um, that you are trying to somehow explain away the injustice that is going on in some way that makes sense. And we've seen that throughout history and we still see it today. And it's such a shame that we blame people who are in poverty for being poor. It's a very common theme throughout history since we've had 
poverty is to blame the poor people for being in their position rather than realizing there's unfair, unjust things going on, which is really sad. And so I would hope people have that mindset that people are equal, that if we give everyone equal opportunities, we will see closer to equal outcomes. I say closer because not everyone is exactly the same, but these huge disparities that we see are the result of racist policies. Um, and that's something that we have to be aware of. So, and, and one of the last things he mentions, monitor closely to prevent new racist policies from being instituted. It never ends, this process. So we want to see, uh, and you know, someone is asking, what can we do? We have to pay attention also what's going on. Um, very often we might just look at the world and think this is the world. But again, that might be supporting the racist policies that are allowing for the inequities to be there. So we pay attention to what's going on, look at what's happening. We have to study, we have to, to research a little bit more because so much of what we've been told about why things are the way they are has made it seem like it's somehow fair or it's somehow okay. Even when I tell you that a disproportionate amount of people of color are in jail, many people will say, yeah, they were violent, they did bad things, they did, they did crimes, that's why. But a book I'll be reading soon called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander shows that things, for example, like drug use are essentially equal between blacks and whites, but way more blacks are in jail for drug-related offenses compared to whites. And so then people will say, well, maybe it's because they were doing more violent things related to the drugs, and that isn't the case when you look at the statistics too. So we have to challenge some of the notions and the beliefs that we have. It takes work to be an anti-racist, to fight for justice. I mean, there's that word fight in it. It means it's not going to be easy. It doesn't just come um, if you relax and just take it easy. We have to work hard. And so I hope people will recognize that in order to be a caring citizen of the world, we have to challenge ourselves and we have to put in effort. It can be exhausting. And then we have to try to remind ourselves that you might be tired from trying to do some work um, in this way, but people are suffering. So you might think it's exhausting. Imagine what it's like to be suffering. And that can be a good reminder of what people are going through and that we want to continue being mindful of what's happening. Another thing to think about is voting. I say that because in the United States, in about uh, five less than five months, about four months, there will be an election. And who you choose to vote for, also not just... The candidates, of course, that's very important, but also there's in whatever state or city you live in, there's going to be lots of different laws and policies that are coming out and we have to do our research. I can even be uh, open that I do some research, but I've recognized I don't do enough when I go to cast my ballot. Sometimes there's some of these measures I don't really know or know much about. I'm looking at the different short descriptions there, but I haven't done my research. And that's me being lazy and not taking enough action to say if I really want to fight against injustice, I have to do more research. It does take time. It does take work, different types of work, looking at ourselves, learning, researching, continuing to talk, talking to other people. It is a process that we start, but one that hopefully all of us will embark in to be anti-racist and to fight against injustice. So again, uh, highly recommend the book and really it took over the whole show, but again, uh, I could only touch on some parts of it because there's so much in here. How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I really hope you will read that book. It was a very meaningful book for me. That brings us to the end of 
tonight's show. The book of the week for this week is The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America by Eric Cervini. Looking forward to reading that this week and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. All right, a big thank you to Amir here in the studio, who's always helping me out here on Monday nights. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.